Well, good morning again. Uh, I am Bruce Trugsma. I'm the pastor of community and spiritual formation here. For those of you that arrived late and you didn't uh, meet me earlier, um, I, it is my pleasure to be here. Before I get started, uh, I want to share about something that's kind of been going on behind the scenes at the church over the last several months. For those of you that have been around for a number of years, you know we have a Why Is That a Free Church app. Uh, we recently did a major update. If your app doesn't look like that, uh, please go to your app store and tell it to update your app. And I bring that up on a Sunday morning in a sermon because the home screen is geared for Sunday morning. So that when you're here, it makes it better to encounter each other, encounter God, and experience what God is doing. So a couple of things in there that I want to highlight on the home screen. You can see it right there. We do have a digital connecting card. You've been able to, through COVID, text the word connecting to get a digital connecting card. It's now on the home screen. You can go right into it. Um, The prayer request feature is not in the connecting card. We as a church staff love to pray for you. We value praying for you. So we wanted to highlight it as its own button. So if you have a prayer request, you can go right there and hit that and submit a prayer request so we can pray for you. Um, Also in there is the digital Wyzetta Weekly. If you didn't, you know, used to come here, we used to give you a paper weekly. Now it's on line and it's digital and now you can tap there anytime during the week and see the weekly and access it quicker and easier. Last, and this is the one I'm the most excited about, these, these, the small group discussion guide. We've done a small group discussion guide around the sermon for years so that you in small groups at home can engage with the sermon throughout the week. It's now in there as well and the part I'm excited about, most of the passages <laughs> that are used in the sermon should be hyperlinked in there. So if you have the Bible app, you don't even have to look for the passages. You just tap the button and it opens it right up. You can take notes in it. I'm excited about that because I think it makes it easier for us to engage in God's word. Apps are cool. That's not why you're here this morning. I don't want to dwell on it. I'm excited about it, not just because uh, it's been a lot of work, but because I really think it will help us to engage in God's word as a community and engage with each other. But again, that's not why we're here this morning. We're here to talk about God's Word, and we're going to be engaging in God's Word this morning. If you have a Bible app or a Bible uh, with with pages and whatnot, um, we're going to be in Acts 9, and I would encourage you to go there. We're going to be engaging in Acts 9 and talking about vision. As we look at, as we look at the conversion of Saul, we're going to look at vision. Before we start... Uh, If you've been around me at all in the last year, we as a church have talked a lot about learning circles. These ideas of being together in community, learning from each other, facing one another as we engage in topics. And we've had learning circles around a variety of topics. Currently right now, I'm leading one called Old Testament Flyover that's looking for the big picture in the Old Testament. What ties Genesis to Malachi to Proverbs to Job and so on? How do they all work together? And one of the things we are focusing on in that group is God's redemptive story throughout the Old Testament. And that story continues into the New Testament and Saul's conversion is a significant part of that big picture story, that, that big narrative going throughout all of scripture. But one of the things we talked about is in your Bible, you probably have the Old Testament and the New Testament, which uh, is one of the ways that we most commonly divide up the Bible. You've maybe heard Kevin talk about it as the First Testament and the Second Testament, kind of trying to tie the story together. I had, a, I had somebody once in my life refer to it as, you know, we should really divide up the Bible a different way. 
we should really have the first testament be Genesis 1 and 2. God created a perfect world. Then we have the second testament, which is Genesis 3, sin screwed it up. And then we have the third testament, which is Genesis 4, through Revelation, God fixes it. Because that's the big picture. That's what's going on. And like I said, this story about Saul plays a big role. And, and our passage starts in verse 1 of chapter 9 with the word, meanwhile. Meanwhile. Which is a big word. Meanwhile, it's tying together all the other stuff that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, right? It starts back with, with uh, uh, Saul, the first time we see him standing there at the martyrdom of Stephen, giving his approval to Stephen being stoned. And, and, and then it moves quickly that that persecution starts pushing the church out of Jerusalem, moving it from an ethnic and geographically centered movement to what God had called it to be, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It is beginning that progression out, and we see it move quickly to Philip, that Kevin talked about, who engages the Ethiopian eunuch, moving it outside of not only uh, geographic but racial boundaries, to somebody who is not ethnically Jewish but is a follower of Yahweh. Meanwhile, and here our story sits at the crux between this and what in the next chapter will be a significant move to Cornelius a true Gentile. Meanwhile, there's a lot packed into that one word. Meanwhile, and it goes, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, which is followers of Jesus, disciples uh, following Jesus, anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Saul is moving from merely defending his faith to active pursuit and war. Saul is moving to pursuing followers of the way outside of Jerusalem, and he's pursuing them to Damascus, which is outside of the bounds of his authority. And he's planning to go there with permission from the high priest to capture them and haul them back so that they can continue to persecute them. Saul, we will see through this story, this story of Saul is in intrinsically tied to the Old Testament. He sees himself continuing on like Joshua in, in the Old Testament, this idea of, of, of defending their faith, physically defending it. He's going to see, he sees himself there. He, taught, he sees the parallel between what he is doing and the earlier conquests of the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about the clear vision throughout this morning. And the first thing we're going to see in Saul is a clear vision of the Lord. Have you ever had a moment where something has been so clear in front of you, it has burned into your mind? Before uh, my wife and I had our kids, we had an opportunity to travel to Holland and Norway. My wife is Norwegian, has relatives in Norway. Those of you that are Norwegian and like that can talk to her about that. I am not Norwegian at all. I am Dutch. My family is Dutch. In fact, if I was Saul, I would say I'm the Dutch among the Dutch um, because my parents grew up in the same Dutch community and it's a big part of who we were and we had the opportunity to go visit some relatives and he's like my fifth or sixth uncle. I don't remember exactly how we were connected, but he had the same last name as me and he took me to this town and he said, Bruce, this is as far back as I can trace our family. And it was this town called Ilst 
And it's in Friesland. And he stood there and he says, we can trace it back this far and no further because when the Black Plague happened, we lost the records. And I stood there and I felt so connected to my history and my family and my past. And Saul is going to have an encounter like that, but even more so. Even more significant, even more connected to his past and his history. There was a historical symmetry between his encounter with God and other encounters with God in the Old Testament, specifically Ezekiel and Isaiah. And Ezekiel 1, we read this in verses 27 and 28, and Ezekiel is describing his encounter with the Lord. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. When I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. Being a devout Hebrew of Hebrews and being a scholar of scholars, because that's what Saul, Paul was, he was somebody who most likely had prayed and asked God for an Ezekiel-like encounter. It was common for them to desire to have that experience like Ezekiel to see the glory of the Lord. Saul is going to get one. And there's no doubt when you read this section with Ezekiel in mind that Saul has an encounter with God. Back to Acts 9. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Saul had had a clear vision of the Lord. And I want to ask, have you ever asked that question of somebody? Who are you? My wife has occasionally asked that question of me when I've acted out of character of the person she knows me to be. Who are you? Um, I have asked that question of my kids when they have done things that are so out of character. I'm not questioning who they actually are. I know them. I'm saying, who are you? And that's almost the tone we get here from Saul, because if it truly is an Ezekiel-like encounter, there's no question who he is. He is asking, who are you? How is this Jesus, who I thought was a heretic, really God incarnate? Who are you? God is not changing his theology. God is correcting it. Later on in life, Paul, Saul, will be challenged on whether or not he's a true disciple, whether or not he's a true apostle. And he will say in 1 Corinthians 9, have I not seen the Lord? He knows it's God, but he's questioning everything else because a clear vision of the Lord calls into question everything he thought he assumed he knew. Now he is unsure. He is seeing an unknown side of his God. Again, God is not changing Saul's theology, but correcting it. He's realizing Jesus wasn't just some hothead dissenter. Jesus is God. Jesus always was God. It was Saul who was in the wrong. In Luke 10, 16, Jesus had said, whoever listens to you, to to his followers, listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me, but whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. Saul's attack against the believers, he is now realizing, was a direct attack against God Almighty. 
the God he thought he was serving. So let me ask you, if you have ever had a direct encounter with God, how has it changed you or your understanding of who God is or your theology? Are you open to an encounter with God changing your perspective? When we engage with the world and with God's word, we need to engage with humility, not assuming that we have the correct answer. When we speak to people and we say, this is what God says, this is what God's word says, we better be very sure we are speaking God's word and not our own editorialized version. When we dismiss others as wrong and not true believers, we must be careful that we are not rejecting God's followers. In the free church, we have a saying historically that there is no such thing as a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. There are no second-class members in the free church. We are followers of Christ. There is no greater than, less than in the kingdom of God. As I think of the issues we have faced over the last several months in our country, and again, especially in light of what's happening in Myanmar and Atlanta, where is God moving in ways that we are missing because we are so focused on ourselves and on what we desire that we are missing God? Where is God saying to us, I am here, come and serve? clear vision of God. And a clear vision in the face of uncertainty. Along with that clear vision of God, Saul is getting a clear vision in the face of uncertainty. Because as the passage continues, as we look at it, God's clear vision doesn't always carry clear direction. He is not given a lot of detail. Verses 6 through 9, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. There's uncertainty in what God is calling him to do. And a couple of things I want to highlight. Again, Saul's call to go into the city is very parallel to another Old Testament story. For those of you that know the story of Abram, Abram is living in his, fam- in his family lands in Ur, and God calls to him and says, what? Go to the land I will show you. Start moving and I will show you the land. Saul, get up and go into the city and I will show you. Start moving first. Maybe God is waiting for movement on our part before he reveals the next step. Oftentimes in my life, God has moved in my life not as a roadmap saying, here's how you will get from A to B. You're going to go this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, and get to B. And instead, oftentimes when God is moving in my life, it's like listening to Siri giving me turn-by-turn directions. Turn left. Okay, I'm turning left. Now go for a while. And I would like Siri to give me a little more information. Go how long? Until when? Oftentimes, that's what I hear from God. Turn and go. And once you start moving, I'll reveal to you the next step. Get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Isaiah 30, 21. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. So first of all, God always doesn't always give us the entire picture. But second of all, We oftentimes hear what we want to hear. Saul responds in obedience because he recognized it was his God who was speaking. The men around him hear a voice but don't see a person. And in fact, it doesn't even say a voice. 
They heard the sound. It's a parallel to John 12, where we read that Jesus was speaking and he says, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. To those around Jesus, it was thunder or an angel. For those around Saul, it was simply a sound. They were not willing to spiritually see God in the voice they heard. Where has God been moving that you have simply not been willing to see him? Where has God spoken but you have not heard? And finally, the irony of the situation of the spiritually blind leading the physically blind is not lost. Are you open to God working in those who are still without spiritual sight? Can you see God at work and move into it? I saw a tweet this morning from Bob Goff, and I thought it was very pertinent to today. Every day, God invites us on an adventure. It's not a trip where he sends us a rigid itinerary. He simply invites us, and then leaning over, he whispers, let's go do that together. Where is God leading? Where are we willing to follow? A clear vision in the face of uncertainty. A clear vision of our future. Acts 9 continues, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. The text here makes a quick shift to a guy named Ananias. We don't know much about Ananias. We know he was in Damascus. We know he was a disciple. That's about all we know. But he gives him a specific task. Go. Go to Judas on Straight Street and look for Saul. Because it's counterintuitive what Ananias is doing. We see from the text that he knows why Saul came. Saul came to persecute us, to haul us back, to kill us. God gives him clear direction, but not all the details again. But he does say this. He gives a clear vision of their future. He says, this man is my chosen instrument. And that word in there, chosen instrument, is specific. It's not like a wrench being used as a hammer. If you've ever been in a garage and you needed a hammer and you couldn't find one, but you found a wrench, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, he is my 916's box-ended wrench because that's exactly what I need. It is a specific tool for a specific purpose, but that choice is not logical to our standards. God is sending Saul to the Gentiles, the Hebrew of Hebrews, the scholar of Jewish law and custom. Why would you send him to the Gentiles? The Gentiles don't get Judaism. It is not logical When you want to reach the pagan world, the person to do it will not be a hardline, fanatical, ultranationalist, super-orthodox, pharisaic Jew. Why? Because that's illogical. But that is who God chooses. And it doesn't make sense to us, but these men are moving forward with God's plan because they are listening to the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit has given them a clear vision for their future. And Saul is most likely sitting there at some point when Ananias says to him, when God says to him, I will show him how much he must suffer. And note the posture of both men. Ananias sees a vision. Later, Saul sees a vision, and it's clarified because he was in prayer. Both men are in prayer. Do you want to hear the Holy Spirit? Be in prayer. Do you want a clear vision of our future? Do you want to know where God is sending you? Spend time in prayer. Do you want to have the Holy Spirit move in your life to reach someone? Be in prayer. Do you, under, do you not understand a group of people but want the Lord to work in that group? Pray for them. Do you see God moving in a group that you do not feel qualified to engage with? Be in prayer. And that ties directly to our last point. Because when we are in prayer, God gives us a clear vision of how God sees us and those around us. Acts nine seventeen through 19. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Brother Saul, not Saul the persecutor, not Saul the enemy, Brother Saul. Ananias quickly moves from seeing Saul how he saw him to seeing Saul how God saw him. Brother Saul, he says, because the bar for membership in the community of God is low. The bar for being a sister or brother in Christ is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the bar. Brother Saul. Who is the sister or brother you are not seeing? Saul is a brother because he has confessed Christ. Think of this especially in our uncertain times. Who is our brother or sister we are not seeing? In light of the trial of Derek Chauvin going on right now, in light of the rise of racial remarks against our Asian brothers and sisters, who are we not seeing that is hurting and is our brother or sister? Who are we missing? Who are we not seeing as God sees them? Now, Saul's theology isn't quite right yet. We'll later learn later in Galatians that he's going to go and spend three years, this scholar of scholars is going to say, clearly I missed something in my theology. I'm going to go spend three years restudying my scriptures. His theology isn't there. The theology that will write Romans, the theology that will write Corinthians isn't there. And yet Ananias looks at him and says, Brother Saul. In Acts 18, 26 through 27, we read of another person whose theology wasn't all there. His name was Apollos, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. It wasn't all there. He was missing some pieces. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. And when he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Once again, the bar for community is low. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then, brother, sister, you are in. And then we walk alongside each other, encouraging, tweaking, directing, not limiting people because they're not there. They're not ready yet. 
How are you viewing those around you? Are they not quite ready in your mind? But God is seeing them as his chosen instrument, specifically chosen to reach their school or their workplace or their neighbors or their community. Again, note in the story that the men who led Saul to the house were there when Ananias says these things, and yet they reject. They don't follow in the story of Acts. We don't see them again. It is not our job to convert people. It is our job to bring the gospel, and people choose to follow it, and then they're their community, their brother and sister. How can you walk with someone and be there, Priscilla and Aquila, tweaking and adjusting and encouraging them to continue to go. And who is tweaking and encouraging you? Who is your Aquila, your Priscilla, who comes alongside you that you're willing to listen to when they say, let's move a little bit this direction. God is calling you over here. Our story started with meanwhile, and it's appropriate that it ends with yet Saul. As the song Waymaker said, God is not done with us. This isn't a, simply a one-and-done shot for Saul that he's now done. He's now good to go. Off he goes. Yet Saul, there's going to be more to this story. It's going to continue on. Our story is not over. God is still moving in my life and in your life and in the life of this community. God is not done with any of us. Whether you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior yet or whether you've been walking with him for many, many years, what is your yet Saul? What is your next step to know, follow, and become like Jesus Christ? Where is God calling you to move out, to see differently, to have a clear vision? So as you leave today, remember, have a a clear vision in the face of uncertainty. Have a clear vision of the future. And to have a clear vision of others requires us as as believers to have God encounters and to see God clearly. So how have you encountered God today, this week, this month? What is God calling out in your life right now? And who is God calling you to reach and engage with? Would you pray with me as I end? Father God, as you worked in the life of Saul, starting, God, early on and continuing out through his entire life, I ask that you would be at work in our life. God, give us a vision for who you are and where you are calling us. God, in the face of uncertainty, in the face of chaos, in the face of not knowing what's going on, God, help us to continue to follow your next step. God, help us to pursue you one day, one week, one month at a time, and trust you for the future. And Lord, help us to see those around us as you see them, and to see ourselves as you see you, as you see us, as your children. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.